certainly one of the most uh, dramatic events in the Bible, but, uh, but not only in the Bible, one of the most dramatic events even throughout the course of, of history. Um, it actually took place in, a, in, a, in an environment um, at an event that, that we think of and that we know of as um, the, the Last Supper. Now, um, this happened at the very end of, of Jesus' ministry, but, but of course, n- nobody knew that and nobody um, referred to this moment as that because no one, um, no one but Jesus realized what was about to happen. Um, Jesus' disciples just simply thought that they had gathered together to celebrate Passover um, just like they had every other year. And Passover is kind of an interesting um, holiday because um, it's both a patriotic celebration and also uh, a remembrance meal. So it'd be kind of like us uh, mixing together, you know, the 4th of July uh, along with um, Thanksgiving. Um, And so what people would do for Passover is is they would get together and they would celebrate um, and they would have a meal and they they would remember um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier when God um, had brought the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. And and on this particular night, um, the the Jewish people, they would eat, he would eat a meal as slaves uh, one last time in Egypt and then um, then the very next morning they they would walk out of Egypt as um, free people. And their whole point and, and purpose and history as a nation and as a people up until this point um, was as slaves. For 400 years, um, they had prayed and prayed and prayed to their God, and, um, and their prayers went completely unanswered. I mean, think about that. 400 years, right? Four weeks go by, and we start asking questions like, where is God, and, and why isn't God, and, and what's wrong with God, 400 years, and, and their prayers as a nation, as a nation, go unanswered. Finally, God sends Moses to them, and, and Moses tells the people, he says, okay, we're leaving, um, um, but we're going to leave tomorrow, in fact. But he says, but tonight, um, tonight, death is actually going to pass through the entire land of Egypt, and, and, and every firstborn, Every firstborn of both man and animal, they are all going to die in every single home all throughout Egypt, um, except for those homes that are marked um, on their doors, uh, on the sides and the top of the door frame to their home with the blood of a lamb. And so every Jewish family taking, taking Moses at his word, they, they slaughter a lamb, they eat a, a special meal. And then they take some of that lamb's blood and they they mark the outside door of their home on the sides and on the top of the doorpost. That night, death moved all throughout the land of Egypt, but it passed over every home that was marked with that lamb's blood. And the very next morning, the the Pharaoh told the Jewish people to, to get out of Egypt. And so the Jewish people start making their way towards what would later become known as the promised land, and 1,500 years after that event, Jesus is gathered in this place to celebrate this event with his disciples just as it had been done every single year since the Jewish people left Egypt 1,500 years earlier. And so they had done this before, Uh, but, but this time, 
Uh, th this time things were different. The last time they celebrated this meal, um, th things were going great because Jesus was like a star. He was like a, a celebrity. Everywhere that Jesus went, there were just crowds and crowds and crowds of people. And the disciples were the people closest to Jesus. They were uh, on his left and on his right. And so um, th things w w were great for them. Uh, and the miracles were, were big, and they kept getting bigger, and the, and the crowds were big, and they kept getting bigger. And so everything was absolutely amazing. But this time, this time was different. At this time, it didn't feel like a, a celebration. There were rumors that a group of very powerful Jewish people were actually, um, actually trying to um, arrest Jesus. And, and things had not been going well. Uh, for, for Jesus or the disciples lately. In fact, uh, the religious leaders kept making all these crazy accusations about Jesus, trying to get, um, trying to get something to stick. I mean, they were clearly trying to, to, to separate Jesus from these crowds of people that were following him. And the disciples knew that, um, that if, if Jesus were to go down, then you know, they were gonna, they're certainly go, going to go down uh, with him. And then to, to make matters worse, I mean, Jesus um, recently had seemed to get fixated. He almost became obsessed with his own death. He started, he was constantly talking about being taken and, and dying. And, and Jesus had made those kind of comments before, but now it, it was just like, it was constant. And he wouldn't stop talking about it. And, and the disciples, um, they just kept trying to ignore it because for, for them, you know, in, in their way of thinking, much like our way of thinking, if God is with you, right, then things are, are going to get better. There's going to be more certainty, not less certainty. But at this point, they had found themselves at this place in life where there were more questions and more fears and more anxiety, and all of it was increasing and not decreasing. And to make matters even stranger, by this point on the Passover, I mean, Jesus would have told them where they were going to go. In fact, by this point, um, Jesus would have sent a couple of the disciples ahead, uh, ahead of the rest of the group, maybe two or three days early to prepare all the details. Passover was very complicated, and here it was um, the afternoon of the Passover celebration, the most important festival in the Jewish calendar. It, Passover was just a couple hours away and Jesus hasn't even told them where they're going yet. He just keeps saying that, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, things are going to get really, really bad. And so, of course, they're thinking exactly what you would be thinking, what I would be thinking. Then, then why are we going there? They get to the outskirts of the city of the city of Jerusalem. You have to picture this, and they stop just outside the city, and they actually wait for the sun to go down. And then, under cover of darkness, Jesus sends two of the disciples into town to meet a mysterious man who takes them to a mysterious place. And it's at this moment that the disciples finally realize that somehow. Somehow Jesus is actually prepared. He's gotten everything ready for Passover, but he didn't tell any of them what it is that he was doing. It's like all of a sudden he didn't trust them anymore. So Jesus and the disciples, they, they sneak into Passover under cover of darkness. There's no, there's no palm branches waving. There's no shouts of Hosanna. There's no crowds lining the streets. Just just like there had been just a couple of days earlier, they, they quietly, they, they make their way to this house. They go up this set of outside stairs and, and, and they gather in, in this upper room. 
And when they're finally all together and they, they start to settle down and, and they're getting ready to have what's supposed to be a, a celebration, Jesus actually starts off by looking all of them straight in the eye and he says, I, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Like literally one of you, one of you is going to hand me over. I mean, things had clearly, clearly changed. One, Jesus said, who is eating with me. See, this was a sign of how deep the betrayal would actually be because to eat with someone in their culture, much like eating with someone in our culture, is a sign of closeness and, and relationship. And, and to eat together with somebody on a holiday, especially a big important holiday, was to say, okay, not only is it one of you who knows me, no, it's actually one of you who has chosen to gather around this, this sacred table with me and to celebrate this, this amazing thing, this amazing thing that God has has done for us. It's one of you who is here, who is closest to me, and who is celebrating and eating with me. It's one of you who is going to betray me. The disciples, as you can imagine, they were, um, they were saddened or disappointed. And one by one, they came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, surely it's, it's not me. Jesus, I, you know me, Jesus. You know I, I, I would never do this. It's, it's not me. And Jesus said, it is actually one of the 12. It's one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go. In other words, don't miss this. Jesus is saying, the Son of Man will go. Everything that is occurring right now is occurring exactly the way that God had said it would happen. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, this book, the Bible, this is filled with accounts of events that have um, been written and that have taken place in times that were filled um, with extreme uncertainty, times where it looked as though God had gone dark. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to address um, two questions that every single one of us, maybe you right now, um, are asking yourself, things that we've asked ourselves during the course of, of life, which are these two questions right here. Why is God allowing this? And am I going to make it through it? What do you do when you find yourself in a series of circumstances and, and there is really no way that you can change any of them. You, you want to believe that God is good, you know, but life is doing a pretty good job of trying to convince you otherwise, right? Because there are problems that you can solve, but the truth is there are also some unsolvable problems, aren't there? And, and there are tensions that you can resolve, but there are also some unresolvable 
tensions. And at some point in your life, just like in my life, and for many of us at many different points in the course of our lives, we're going to find ourselves in a set of circumstances where it is what it is and everything is telling us that's just going to be the way that it is. And see, it's in those moments and it's in those seasons of life that this is actually the perfect place to run to. Because see, your favorite Bible story, right, the story that you grew up with, the story that you love to hear over and over and over again, your favorite psalm, your, your favorite proverb, um, all of it, all of it was written in and all of it, it reflects a time of extraordinary uncertainty. This is not a book about rich people having fun. This is not a book about how to make all of your dreams come true. It's not even a collection of happily ever after stories. That is not what's found in the pages of, of this book. Instead, every single narrative, every single event, every single passage in this book, all of it, everything that we draw hope and security from, all of it comes from difficult times. All of it comes from troubled times. And it comes from people who discovered that in the midst of the darkness, that God is still present. That silence from God is not a result of his absence. That uncertainty in life does not mean that God is untrustworthy. And if ever there was a time to develop the habit of reading your Bible for yourself, it is now. This is why we want you to join us this year in 2023 as we help teach you and help get you get connected in reading through the New Testament, the Psalms, and the Proverbs by reading just one chapter of your Bible a day. It's why I want you to grab one of these reading plans on your way out so that you have a, a, a way that you're actually in God's Word every single day because it's in the pages of this book that, that we find a story that so many of us are familiar with, the story of a young man by the name of Joseph. Right, Joseph, and I know that all of you who have siblings, at some point in life you've had problems with your siblings, right? But imagine Joseph who, who finds himself at the bottom of a well and who listens as above him his own brothers are having this conversation. Should we kill him or should we sell him? I, I don't know. I think we should sell him. No, I think we should kill him. And as you read that story... You, you discover as, as scary and as terrifying as that was for Joseph in that situation that God was actually with Joseph. Or, or David, King David, right, who's awakened one morning to discover that his son has raised an army and is about to invade the capital city and, and conquer him and replace him as king, right? And all of you who are parents, right, all of us have had trouble with our kids at some point, right? But an army, an army to replace his father, and as you read that story, you discover that as dark as it was for David in those moments, that God was still with David as well. And then there's the story that most of us heard growing up, and even though it's a name that isn't really familiar probably to any of us really, it's the story of a woman by the name of Jacobed. 
Jacobed. Jacobed, who had a, a son, and, and like any mother who, who loves her, her baby boy, um, she, she, um, she wanted to do everything she could to take care of him and protect him. Um, but when she got word that the ruler of her nation, the pharaoh, had decided um, to murder all of the babies in his country that were just like her baby um, because he decided there were too many Jewish people in his land. And, and, and imagine the, the, the drama around this. Jacobed decides um, that um, she's so desperate to save her son um, that she takes him and she wraps him in claws, she places him in a banquet, blanket and she, in a basket, and she pushes this basket out into the Nile River as if to say, if it's going to be between the crocodiles and the soldiers, I'm going to take my chances with the crocodiles. And as you read that story, you discover that somehow, somehow in that incredibly scary and dark and unimaginably horrific situation, somehow God is actually right there as well. And if you keep reading, you discover that this story is actually the foreshadowing of another story. Uh, the story of another baby who would be saved from a very similar fate, that when Mary and Joseph um, learned that the King Herod, uh, the king in their area, uh, when he had discovered that um, in, in, a, in a rage, um, when he had discovered that there was going to be a, a young Jewish boy born who would one day um, become the new Jewish king, and so as the current Jewish king, Herod, was, was willing to do anything that was necessary to prevent that from ever happening. And so he, too, decided to wipe out an entire generation of, of baby Jewish boys living in Bethlehem. But Mary and Joseph managed to, managed to escape Herod by going of all places back to Egypt in order to save the baby Jesus. And once again, you, you read the story, and in the midst of incredible and unimaginable wailing and, and grief, you, you, you discover that somehow, somehow God was right there, right in the middle of all of it, every single story. Every single story, you read it for yourself. Every single story where it seems like, like, like things have spun out of control and, and the only movement is backwards, like all of God's activity has ceased and the bad guys have won. You, you read all the stories and you discover that in the midst of incredible darkness, that God is still present and that God is still working. And 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. In spite of the darkness in our world, God is still present. And he's still active. The story in the upper room continues. And because you and I, because we know the, the outcome of the story, because we know the end of the story, we understand the significance of, of these next words. But understand, these next words were completely lost on the people who were in that room that night. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, listen, this is not... This is not what you think it is. 
I know that you have been eating this Passover celebration ever since you were little kids, but from now on, when you eat this as my followers, from now on, this is my body. And it's like, Jesus, what in the world are you talking This little broken piece of bread, Jesus is your body? What are you even talking about? Jesus, come on, if you're from God, Jesus, come on, things are going to turn around. Things are going to get better. Jesus, if you're from God, I mean, there needs to be more clarity. There needs to be more certainty, not less. Then Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and he offered it to all of them. They all drank from it. And then Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, foreshadowing what was about to take place the the very next day when Jesus would be nailed to a cross and he would die in front of everyone who was in that room. Very soon after Jesus said this, he, he left the upper room and he went with his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane and on the way, they discover that things are actually going to get worse because Jesus looks at all of them and he says, all of you are going to fall away. Because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, Jesus said. And see, this is the part that they just could not comprehend. This was the part, even though Jesus was telling them exactly what was going to happen, Because of everything happening around them and everything happening to them and all of their feelings and all of their emotions, they they just could not reconcile what they were experiencing in their circumstance with what it is that Jesus was actually saying to them. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And see, as Peter is listening to all this and he's thinking about this, he's thinking, okay, Jesus, there is no way, there is no way this is going to happen. Jesus, if you're really from God, I mean, if you really are the son of God, then this is not how the story is supposed to go. There should be more certainty. There should be more miracles. There should be more faith. Jesus, there should be, there should be more intervention. Jesus, listen, even if everybody falls away, Jesus, I, I will not. Because, Jesus, that's just not how the story is supposed to go. And then just a couple hours later, when this man is confronted by a middle school girl of simply knowing Jesus, Jesus is denied by Peter three times. Simply for being an acquaintance. Now, here's the the, the question for for all of us as we begin this series together this weekend. And and we're going to come back to this throughout the course of of this series over the next several weeks. As you and I, as all of us, as we continue uh, to experience uncertainty in in our own worlds, with our families, our jobs, with the economy, with your retirement maybe, maybe with your ability to to go to school or to be in school, um, perhaps with your own personal health, right? With, With all of that uncertainty, here's the question. Can you trust God even when God goes dark? Can you hold on to faith in God when you can't see any evidence of his activity in your life? 
Can you continue to embrace God as a personal heavenly father when there is absolutely no evidence of his activity in your life, maybe even anywhere in our world? And see, your answer and my answer to this question will determine how it is that we are going to respond to the uncertainty that is a part of our world, that is a part of our families, and that is a part of all of our relationships. And see, the, the strange thing is this, and this is what makes what we're talking about in this series so difficult and, and so hard and yet so incredibly, incredibly important. This is the dilemma that kind of gets all this caught up together. Imagine that you were to go to that group of people who were in that room that night, the event that we just read about, and maybe just a few months after that event took place, and you were to look at them and say to them, okay, Peter, Andrew, James, John, um, Matthew, um, listen, when was the moment, when was the darkest moment when you experienced your, your time following Jesus? What was the darkest moment that you experienced with Jesus? When was that moment that, that it made you think, okay, maybe we did waste our lives. Maybe we did make a mistake. Maybe we shouldn't have followed this guy. Maybe it, it all really is just a, a, a big sham. When was that, that moment? When was that, that time that, that you look back and, and you kind of regretted because um, and, and you realized, okay, you know, this isn't, this isn't what I thought I signed up for. Right? What, what was that moment? And every single one of them would say to you, it was that moment that we gathered together that night with Jesus. And Jesus told us, um, not only would, would, would somebody betray him, but, that, but all of us, all of us would fall away. And then just a couple hours later, all of us did fall away. And then we saw Jesus arrested, we saw him tried, and we saw him die. You want to know when those darkest hours were with Jesus? It was those hours. Because it was those hours where everything around us and everything we were experiencing, everything we were feeling, everything we were seeing, all of it was telling us that God had left us and God had gone dark. But if we were then to ask those very same people this question, where in your time with Jesus do you think God was actually doing his greatest work? Was it when Jesus was healing the sick? Or was it when Jesus was healing, when he healed the crippled guy? What about when Jesus healed the blind guy? Was it when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb? I mean, think about it. He had been in there dead for four days, and you saw them roll the stone away, and you heard Jesus say to Lazarus, come out, and you actually watched a dead man come walking out of the tomb. Surely that was the moment that, that you realized that Jesus was doing, that God was doing his greatest work. But they would have said no. No, that wasn't it, actually. Actually, it was those very same hours when it looked like God was doing the least. It was actually those very same hours when we thought God was missing, that God was doing his greatest work. It was in those hours that we thought God was completely inactive, that God was, in fact, most active. Because see, those would be the hours that for literally thousands and thousands of years, people of every culture and every language would look back on and they would rejoice in because of God's goodness, 
and his grace. But if you would have asked those men in that moment, they would have told you this is absolutely foolish because it is clearly, clearly, clearly over. And see, that's a difficult message for us, isn't it? But that is our story. It is our story as people who place their hope and their faith in Jesus as their Savior. And it's not only our story because our story is reflected in the story of the gospel. For many of us, it's our story because that's our experience as well. That somehow, somehow God actually chooses to use broken people with broken lives and broken dreams and then show up and do his most amazing work in them. That for some reason, God actually chooses to take broken, hopeless situations and show up in an amazing way, often not the way that we want. Many times not in a way that we would ever ask for or in a way that we would ever want to experience again. But if we're honest, many times, when we look back on in hindsight, in a way that we, we wouldn't trade. Because many times, God's way is to make the greatest things happen in the midst of the biggest messes that life in this world brings. Because that is the miracle that only Jesus, only Jesus can do. But see, the question for you and the question for me is this. Will we hold on to faith in Jesus when it's actually too dark to see his hand? When our faith begins to, to stumble and to shake? When our faith begins to waver? And we start to look around and we begin to focus on our circumstances instead of our Savior. See, the truth is, with our world right now, this is the perfect time. This is the perfect time to learn to what it means to find hope and truth in the pages of this book. Now more than ever, this is the place to run to. Because all of these stories, every single last one of them, even the story of our salvation itself, all of it was birthed at a time of extraordinary darkness and extraordinary uncertainty in our world. And I get it. Because for some of you, you're sitting there and you're watching or you're thinking to yourself and you're thinking, okay, Joe, it's cute maybe even moderately inspirational. But see, that's not going to help me get a job. And that's not going to take care of, of what I have to deal with at work tomorrow. And that's not going to fix things with my prodigal son or my prodigal daughter. And that's not going to make me better. 
And you're right. You're right. But you know what that does do? That reminds all of us, although that truth about the scriptures doesn't change anything in our present circumstance, what it does do is it allows us to embrace the unknown. It allows us to embrace the unknown knowing that God is still God and that although our life is uncertain, that our God is not uncertain. Although life is uncertain and family is uncertain and jobs are uncertain and economy is uncertain and health is uncertain, your God is not uncertain. And this truth and learning how to hold on to it and embrace it, even if it's just barely with your fingertips, helps you, helps us not to compound the darkness that we're experiencing by going off the rails and doing things that we are simply going to regret. And it allows you to be able to experience peace in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances, as we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Being able to know that your Father and your Savior, they really are with you in the midst of the storm. And this teaches us how to keep our eyes out for the activity of God in a way that might take us by surprise, just like it often took the people of Scripture by surprise. Because the proof of God's presence with you in the midst of the darkness is not your circumstance. It is the cross of Jesus. That is the promise that God makes to you in Romans chapter 8 when we read these words. We know, we know that in all things God works for the good. Not that all things are good. Please, please don't miss that. In all things God works for the good of those who love, not their circumstance, those who love him. And the all things that's going to fall into your all things is going to be very different than the all things that have fallen into my all things. But the promise remains the same. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Because when life is uncertain, God's feeling towards you and about you and his concern for you is not uncertain. And he is not about to let go of you or your family or our world. Regardless of what we see happening around us, regardless of what we experience, we do have, you do have a faithful God. And he is a God that you can continue to hold on to and trust and follow. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, it is absolutely amazing to stop and to think that you know, that you know every heart, you know all the details, you know all the circumstances, and you do, you do. And Father, the truth is, um, you are often a mystery to us. In fact, you, you tell us that yourself. Um, and so that shouldn't surprise us. 
but it still does. And sometimes when we, when we look back on our past, um, it, it makes more sense and sometimes it doesn't. But regardless, Father, when we're in the middle of the mess, it is just, it is just so, so terribly confusing and terrifying. And so, Father, my prayer for our church as we begin this series this weekend, for everyone who is in, in the, the middle of a season of darkness right now, Father, I pray that you would not only strengthen their faith, but I pray that you would, you, you would show up in a way, a tangible way, just to remind them and, and convey to them that, that you see them, that you know what's happening. Father, maybe it's as simple as, as just being here today as we begin this message. And for all of us who are just coming out of a season of darkness and we feel like we're just beginning to catch our breaths, Father, we just, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for carrying us through another one of those seasons of life. And Father, for the rest of us who are getting ready to head into one of those seasons and, and we just don't know when it's going to be. Father, for us, I pray that we would hear these words together over these next several weeks as a reminder, as a promise, that no matter what's in our future, no matter what uncertainty we face, that, that your love and your presence and your work, your love for us is never uncertain. Jesus, we pray all of this in your incredible and powerful name.